are so faithful. You are so faithful. Lord, I just thank you for each and every soul in this room today, Lord. I pray if they don't know you, that they would know your love and your mercy and your grace, that they would just cry out to you this morning. What a promise that it is well, no matter what we are facing, Lord, it is well because of you. quaked before, moved by the sound of his voice, the seas that are shaken and stirred can be calmed and broken for my regard.
calling some of us to get out of the boat. Father, I just pray by your spirit that you would help us to stay focused on you, Lord. There is nothing that will disappoint. You will never leave us or forsake us. You will never misguide us, Lord. God, we can trust you. Whatever it is, Father, whatever we need to step out in faith, Stafford had a, had, a, had a family, a number of daughters, and one of those daughters became ill, and he, there was a treatment that they could find that was in England, and so 
he was closing up his business and he was he sent his wife and his daughters across the Atlantic on a ship he was going to follow them later on their trip over the ship sank and all his family his wife and his all his family were lost at sea he received that message and obviously was in tremendous amount of grief and he boarded a ship to go over to England as well and when he got to the around the point where the other ship had sank and he had lost his family <clears throat> he penned these words give me the first ones Mary when, um, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. The second verse is my favorite. My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Hallelujah. It is well with my soul. What a tremendous thing to be able to say. What a tremendous concept to know that the, that the relationship between an almighty God and us is perfect and intact and that we can say it is well with my soul. There's no fear. The Bible says there is no fear in love. Fear comes from punishment. Perfect love casts out fear. The Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but we've been made alive through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we were objects of wrath. Did you know that? Did you know that we are, were, we, we either are or we were objects of wrath? Now, Here's the, here's the really cool thing. Is that Jesus became an object of wrath on the cross. He became an object of wrath. And God poured out his wrath on sin on Jesus in his body, all the nails and the thorns and the beatings and the hanging on the cross and the torture and all of that was God pouring out his wrath on the object of his wrath, which was our sin, which Jesus became. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He became the object of wrath. Now, 
you may still be an object of wrath. If you have never, if you have never recognized that Jesus took your place as the object of wrath and said to him, Jesus, thank you for being my object of wrath. I received from you what you did for me. And at that moment, the Bible says that God forgives us of the very thing that makes us an object of his wrath, and that's our sin. And so the, we no longer are an object of wrath. We are, now a, that we are now a child. We are an object of love. And we can say, it is well with my soul. There's nothing between me and God. Now, folks, that's, that's pretty close to shouting ground. You understand what I'm saying? That's, a, that's, a, that's pretty close to getting, I mean, that's at least worthy of a hallelujah. That's worthy of an amen. Bless God. It is well with my soul. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we are no longer, we no longer need to be objects of wrath. But we can say with all confidence, not confidence in ourselves, not confidence in, in our goodness, but confidence in what you did on the cross, Jesus. Confidence to say, it is well with my soul. I'm okay. Thank you, Father. Thank you for that peace and that joy that comes from knowing it is well with my soul. Because my sin, not in part but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Folks, last week, um, our sister Elaine asked me to anoint her with oil, and I got carried away in my message, and she had to leave early. We had special prayer for you, Elaine, but I didn't get to anoint you, and I'm going to do it right now. And if anybody else wants to be prayed for, I would love to pray for you um, as, as we do this, okay? So let's just pray together. Let's just be in a spirit of prayer. And, and I just want to, um, I want to anoint Elaine. Because um, did you hear any more about your diagnosis? No, he had inherited and Brooke had it too. Oh, dear. Okay. It's, it's my little story. Look, it's right here. It's leukemia. It's, it's a leukemia, yes. Yeah. Okay. We're going to pray. That's not, up, that's not up to the disease. It's up to God. He has all the days of our, he has all our days numbered. And there you are. That's you are. Yeah. Amen. Father, we come to you today and we anoint Elaine with oil in the name of the Lord Jesus. We lay our hands on her, Father. And we know that there's no special thing in the hands. There's no special thing in the oil. This is a 
an act of faith on our part because you said we should do this. You said that we can lay hands on the sick. You said in James that we should anoint with oil and lay hands on the sick. We do that in obedience to your word because your word's always right and we want to follow your word. And so, Lord Jesus, we know what the doctors have said. We know what the diagnosis is. We know what the prognosis is. But, Father, we're coming to the great physician who is able to do all things, who holds all things in the palm of his hand. You created all things, and the word says you sustain all things, which means you keep all things going. And so, Lord, we just pray right now, and we thank you that by the power of the Spirit of God that dwells in Elaine, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, I pray, Lord, that you will go through her body and cleanse her from this disease in every way, in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. And amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Father, I just pray now as we receive our tithes and offerings that you will bless them and use them to expand your kingdom. I pray that you will guide and direct us throughout the rest of this service before we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are, we're going to pick up this morning in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I told you a couple of weeks ago that we would be coming upon this subject. And uh, so I just, I just want to do a little, a little bit of a, dis, not a disclaimer, but just a little bit of an explanation in the beginning of, of this. I, I told you that as we got into the end of chapter uh, 6 of 1 Corinthians, that we were, going to, we were going to talk about human sexuality and what the Bible says about human sexuality. Now, <clears throat> I, uh, I know that a lot of people don't like to address this subject, um, and, and, it's, and I don't know why. I, I think the Bible's very clear. Um, I think that if we just look at what the Bible says and then we operate off of that, we're going to be, um, obviously we're going to be a lot better off. 
But here's, here's what I want to explain to you. I'm simply going to tell you what the Bible says. I'm going to try to explain what the Bible says. Um, I'm going to be frank and honest. Uh, I'm, not going to be, I'm not going to be crude. I'm not going to be um, uh, colorful. I I'm simply want to explain to you what this says. Now, I do this for two reasons, okay? I do this for two reasons. Some of you may be saying, well, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm you know, that really doesn't apply to me. Um, well, maybe, maybe in some ways you may think that it doesn't, but, but the Bible talks about some other things, and here's, here's what I want to explain to you. <clears throat> you say, well, this doesn't really apply to me, but the point is that you are in a culture, uh, you, are, you are a part of a culture that has been hijacked. It has been hijacked by, by the world and the world's view of human sexuality. And whether or not it, uh, it necessarily applies directly to you, you may be an influence in someone else's life that is affected by it and that needs to hear the truth. And so from this, I hope that you will learn what you need to say and what you need to do. The Bible tells us in, uh, Paul writes in and, and talks about where the older, older men should, should have an influence on younger men and where older women should have an influence on younger women. And obviously the idea here that parents will have an influence on their children and, and properly teach them the, what the Bible talks about in, as far as human sexuality is concerned. There is a ton of stuff in the Bible about this. And, and I can tell you right now that today we're just going to scratch the surface. We're just, going to get, we're just going to get started. Because I want you to see, um, it's, going to take, it's probably going to take me three weeks to, to develop this and to, and to move through it. And that's just the teacher in me. I, I just, I have, to, I have to start at A and go to Z. I can't go... I can't start at D and go to H and then come back to A. I, I'm, I'm going to try to do this all in, a, in an orderly fashion. So I know that there are, there are those who will be listening to this on the, um, on the SoundCloud. And so I will, and there, be, there may be some who will maybe vehemently disagree with me. And, and that's okay. Here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to give you my email address to the church, and you can email me if you disagree, and I will respond. Uh, now, just don't say to me, well, I just disagree, because I, my authority comes from the Word of God. If you disagree with me, and you say, well, I don't believe the Bible, say, that's not good enough for me. You've got to show me something biblically that proves me to be wrong, or, or we, just, we, won't, we can't have a conversation, Okay. Because my authority comes from the Word of God. Um, but the email address here is cbcsarasota at gmail.com. And if you have a question or you have, yeah, that's what it is. cbcsarasota at gmail.com. Hmm? And you can just send that to me and uh, I'll be happy to respond in any way, shape, or form. All right, enough said there. Let's, let's get started. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we, uh, 
we, we pick up where we left off. <clears throat> Paul writes and he says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything um, is expedient. Not everything is that I should do. And then he says, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. And then he says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Now, I want you to understand that the body, that when, that when God created the body, he created it for certain things. Okay? And, and we'll, we'll look at that in just a minute. But what Paul is telling us here is that we should never, we should never go beyond what was intended by God when God created man and woman. We should never go beyond that. He said, the, the stomach was made for food. That's true. And food was made for the stomach. That's true. God created food. God created the stomach. He created the stomach to take the food in. He created the food to go in the stomach to nourish us. He said, but one day God's going to destroy them both. In other words, there's going to come a time when there is no longer a need for people to have food when they have their glorified bodies and when they're in heaven. He says then, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. That was never what it was designed for. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to say some things now, and, and you're going to go, well, you know, Larry, that's obvious. Okay, well, here, here it is. Okay, when, when God created man and woman, he created them different. He created them different physically. He created them different emotionally. But when he, when he created them different physically, he created them in a, in a way that he designed because of what he wanted to have them accomplish for him on this earth. Now, I'm just going to read through 1 Corinthians here, the rest of 1 Corinthians here, and then we're going to, get, we're going to go back into Genesis. Okay? By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Now, of course, we know, and I've said this a couple of times, that in the church in Corinth, there were prostitution Temple prostitution was one of the biggest businesses that there was because of the God that they worshipped, the God Aphrodite, and sexual immorality was a part of their worship. And so, it, the, the people that Paul's talking to have come out of that kind of a culture. And so Paul says, man, you, you can't do that. You cannot... I can't take the members of Christ. I can't take my body, which is a member of Christ himself, and unite it with a prostitute. Never. He said, don't you know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body, for it is said, the two will become one flesh. We will look at that 
later, later as we get into Genesis. But listen, folks, when you see the phrase, the two will become one flesh, it is speaking about the physical union between a man and a woman in marriage. That's what it is talking about. It, it's, it's not talking about some ethereal thing out there. It is talking about this physical union between a man and a woman in marriage. The two will become one flesh. And you will understand this more as I, when we get to probably next week, when we begin to talk about the importance and how this all fits together with a blood covenant. You will understand this better. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. There is our, our spirits were designed to be united with Christ. His spirit with our spirit. His spirit ministering to our spirit. And our spirits communing with his spirit. We are one with him in spirit. We were, we were not designed to be one with him in body. We are designed to be one with him in in spirit. We were designed to be one with our spouse in body. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, here's what, we're going back to Genesis now. And here's what, I want you to, here's what I want you to see. And I'm going to say this first. You and I have to understand one thing is that God, God created sex. God created it. God's the one who came up with the idea. God's the one who designed it. God's the one who put the desires in us for it. It was God who did all of that. Now, in Genesis 1.26, the Bible says, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, this is the overview. Genesis chapter 1 is the overview. Genesis chapter 2 gets a little bit more detailed. Okay, God blessed them, chapter 1, and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves upon the ground. Listen, God made the declaration to man and woman to multiply and replenish the earth before the fall. Before the fall. The concept that before the fall, that man and woman would be united, okay? That they would be united and they would have children, then that, that was God's plan before the fall. 
So, when God created man and He created woman, He created them. Hang on to your seats. He, and he created them anatomically perfect so that they could have children. Isn't that amazing? He didn't give man a uterus. <clears throat> he didn't give man breasts. He put them on the woman. And he made them anatomically perfect so that they could reproduce children. I'm going to tell you how... how screwed up and hijacked our society is? You can have a woman walk down the street topless, but you see one of them using those breasts for what they're designed for and nursing a baby in public and the whole world goes up in air. Now, I'm not advocating public displays of breastfeeding. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm, what I'm saying is, when God created those When he created those, he, crea he created them to feed babies. That's why cows have teats and udders. To feed their calves. God, mammals, that's what they do. They feed their, they feed their young. Reminds me, reminds me of a true story. It reminds me of a true story I read in Reader's Digest one time about this college. There was a college class, and this, um, uh, the professor asked this question, can you give, us, can you give four reasons uh, why um, breastfeeding is better than just regular milk or formula? And uh, a couple of people said a couple of things, and somebody from the back room yelled out, they come in more attractive packages. Okay, you can smile. It's okay. See, you understand what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? God made this. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something... I mean, yes, we've been hijacked by, by the world that says this is, this is something that's just an appetite. It's something that, that um, if you're hungry, you get something to eat. If you're thirsty, you get something to drink. If you have... If you have a, a sexual desire, you just satisfy it and you do it in any way that you can. And God said, no, that's not the way this works. There are parameters that I have set up. There are things that I have, that I have put on. There are boundaries that I have put on this. And, and we'll look at those at, a, at another time. But the, but the Lord God, then the Lord God, in chapter 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So here we begin the process of God looking for 
someone or something, someone or something that can be a suitable helper for Adam, for the man. Now I want you to, I want you to hear that someone or something that he can have as a helper for him. You say, well, how, what do you mean something? I want you to listen to what it says here. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave, all, gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. The man named them all. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. What happened? God brought all the animals and everything that he had created, and he brought them to Adam and had Adam name them, but not one single animal that God had created, who had created, he created it out of the out of the dust of the ground. That's what the Bible says. He created out of the dust of the ground. Just like he did Adam, created him out of the dust of the ground. He created all the animals out of the dust of the ground. But when God brought all the animals in front of Adam and for Adam to name them, there wasn't a single one of that creation that God had made that was suitable for Adam. It wasn't suitable for him as a helper. Now, God, has, God is looking for and, and, and trying to bring about a helper for Adam because he says it's not good for man to be alone. I'll attest to that. It is not good for a man to be alone. I think, and please, don't, please don't generalize this. I don't want to generalize this. I don't want to sound like I'm generalizing, but I think it's a lot harder for a man to be alone than it is for a woman to be alone. I don't know. I'm not a woman. Please don't. If you're alone as a woman, you don't know what he's talking about. I, I, I just I have a sense that, 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 um, that men just need companionship in a woman, more, maybe more so than a woman needs companionship. And if you're a lady and I'm off base... You slap me as you go out, okay? That's fine. I, I, could be, I could just be as wrong as can be, but I'm, you know, I, God said it's not good for a man to be alone. It's not good for a man to be alone. Now listen. So the Lord caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then God made, the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought, it, he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Now I want you to, I want you to hear, here's something I want you to see. At, that, at this moment in time, God is, God is trying to bring about a, help, a helper for Adam. Some, something so that he won't be alone. That's, that's, that was his premise. It's not good for man to be alone. 
we're going to figure this out. We'll bring all the animals. Nah, there's none of them that are good enough. At that moment in time, God made a decision. Just hear me out. God made a decision. And He said, the only suitable helper, the only righteous, the only good, the only perfect relationship that a man can have is with a woman. I'm going to make a woman and I'm going to I'm going to bring them together. This is the perfect relationship that there can be. It is the relationship that I approve of and it is between a man and a woman. He could have. He was God. He could have made another man and said, hey, you two guys hang out. And you can be friends. And you can help one another. But you will never have a relationship with another man like you will with Eve. I'm going to make her the perfect helper for you. And that is the perfect relationship that God has in mind between a man and a woman in a relationship with one another, committed to one another forever till death do us part. That's the ideal, okay? That's the ideal. All right, we'll talk more about that as we get down the road, okay? But I want you to see what God did in this instance as he had and took the opportunity to give man the very thing that he needed the most. For this reason, okay, because, because of what God did, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. They will have a physical union together as part of their relationship with one another. And the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now we know what happens. And we're not going to go into the, into the story of the serpent. But I do want you to see something that happens later on. Because here's what God says to the woman after the fall. After she disobeys God and eats whatever the fruit was that, um, you know, that was on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she gives something to Adam and he sins as well. So God says to the woman... I will greatly, and this is part of the curse, and she, he had already told the serpent that he was going to crawl in his belly, etc. And after he talked to the woman, he said to the man, you're going to toil and sweat for the rest of your life. And this was all part of the curse, if you will. It's called the curse. So he says to the woman, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Now, folks, if that's part of the curse, then in, in my mind, there was no pain in childbirth before the fall there would have been no pain in childbirth before the fall. Why would God curse what already was, and, and add on what was already there? 
See, I believe God had the idea that childbirth would be painless to people because there was no pain. See, there was no sickness, there was no death, there was no pain. There was nothing of that in the garden. It was perfect. God said to them, multiply and replenish the earth. Well, now you're going to have pain, ladies. You're going to have pain. I'm not sure that's true, but... (laughs) Now I'm going to get a bunch of emails, yeah. (laughs) Hey, I've had kidney stones. I know what it's like. Oh, ladies love me. I, you know, there's no, there's no question about it. I, uh, I'm, not, I'm not making light of that at all. Uh, but I, what I am saying is that, you know, that, that the pain in childbirth came as a part of the fall. Now listen to what, the, what God finishes up here and he says. Your desire will be for your husband. And he will rule over you. Now, uh, here's, here, I want, you, I want to help you to understand this. Okay? There's... I, I had... M- my wife had three children. And, and the first one, I wasn't allowed to be in the labor room. The second one, I, was allowed to, I, was, I wasn't allowed to be in the labor room or the delivery room. Um, and it was Lonnie was born. When Angie was born, I was allowed to be in the labor room. And then only because I was a paramedic at the time was I allowed to be in the delivery room when Angie was born. And of course, by the time Corey came along, I was allowed to be in the, in the labor and the delivery room as well. Um, when, when, my, um, when Angie gave birth to, her ki- uh, to Christopher, I didn't want to be in the delivery room. At the, you know, I, I stood outside the door. But... But nevertheless, I understand the, um, the concept of, of pain. I understand how much giving birth is painful for a woman. And, and here's, here's what is going on here. See, if a woman, after she experienced childbirth, if, if God did not put within her the desire for her husband, she go, huh. <laughs> you kidding me? I mean, my wife was sitting on the table going through and doing one of those pushes yelling, you did this to me. Oh, you know, but you, she would just, they would just say, whoa, no way. I'm not going through that again. But, but, the, but God put within, not only the, the pain from the child, but God put within, you said, your desire will be for your husband. Because we, we really need to multiply and replenish the earth. We, we need to do that. And in order to do that, there's going to be painful childbirth. But we, but we have to have conception and we have to have the pregnancy and we have to have the delivery and the delivery is going to be painful. And you're not going to want to do that again, but yes, you are, because your desire is going to be to your husband. And I will talk about he will rule over you sometime down the road. Okay, I'll just, we'll just, we'll talk about that down the road. Finally, 
I want, I want to show you what the Bible says. And, and this, is, this is a really cool, this is a really cool relationship. And I, I, want, you to, I want you to get this, and, and, then, and then we're finished. And I, we've, we've had a little fun today. And, and you know what? We can, ha- we can have fun with serious subjects, but here's what I want you to understand. This is, a, this is really a serious subject. Our kids are in trouble. They're getting fed garbage. They're, 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 they don't understand. There's a lot of husbands and wives and, 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 and single couples. They don't understand what the Bible says about this. And, and, they're, and, there's, and there are problems. There are just monumental problems that are coming out of this. Our society is, is just, it's, the, it's sick with, with this. And, and we just, we have to, if, if the church doesn't get this straight, the world certainly isn't going to get it straight. You know, just, we'll, we'll, we'll have fun, and, but we'll be serious at the same time. Listen to what it says here. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's writing this, and I want to see, there's this one phrase I want you to see in here, because this is, this is how important this is, okay? Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless okay christ loved the church husbands love your wives just as christ loved the church just as christ loved the church he gave himself for her why? To make her holy and cleanse her by the washing of water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Okay? Now, <clears throat> look at this. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, boy, here it is again. Here it is again. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. There's three places now that that appears in the Scripture. Now listen. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Now, folks, I want you to understand. I want you to hear what Paul is saying here is the relationship between a husband and a wife is analogous is the is the same is is side by side it is parallel with the relationship between Christ and the church he said the relationship that we have with Jesus as the church is the same kind of relationship that we are to have between husbands and wives now, I started, I left, I left one verse out because I told you that we were going to talk a little bit later about the whole he will rule over you thing. But the, first, the verse right before the, where I started here in Ephesians says, 
Husbands submit, I mean, wives submit yourselves to your husband as you submit as the church submits to Christ. In other words, we, we as the church, our head, our, the one who gives authority, who has authority, is Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. The pastor is not the head of the church. The church board is not the head of the church. The, the people in Pennsylvania aren't the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the one that feeds the church. From the head, all the nutrients flow, the Scripture says. Okay? From the head, all the nutrients flow. The, the church submits to Christ because the church knows that Jesus always has their best interests at heart. Knows that everything that He has done on the cross, from the resurrection, from everything that He has done, was for the church. I will build My church, He said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Paul says... Husbands, love your wives just like Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. And when, when husbands, he, when, they, when we love our wives, when we love them like our own body, when we nourish them, when we, when we feed them physically, spiritually, emotionally, all of those things, that all comes from the head. The head is not just a position of authority. It is a position of responsibility that is beyond anything that we can do in and of ourselves. We can only do it with the help of the Spirit of God within us to be a husband according to the Scripture. But God says, he uses, Paul uses that phrase, he says, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he said, that's a profound mystery. How does that happen? He said, but I'm, not ta I'm talking about Christ in the church. I'm talking about the intimate relationship between Jesus and His church. And when you understand Jesus and His church, you will understand the relationship that God has always intended to be between a man and a woman. And when you understand the relationship that God has always intended between a man and a woman, you will understand the relationship between Jesus and the church. You can't understand one without the other. Why? Because they're both the same. The relationships are the same. And that's all I have to say this morning. Well, I tell you, next week we're going to um, we're going <clears throat> we're going to talk about <clears throat> there's we're going to get into the Old Testament. Uh, we may talk a little bit about the covenant and what that means, and help you to understand that aspect of it. But, folks, I'm going to tell you. Um, see, this is one of the again one of the reasons I'm doing this is because I think it's important that. That as, that as parents, we help our children to understand this. Uh, when, when they have a healthy understanding 
when they have a healthy understanding of what they're feeling and what they're going through, especially when they're teenagers, when they have a healthy understanding of what God's Word says and what God expects and everything, they can, they can, uh, they can allow those feelings to come on. They, you can't stop those feelings. God put them there. You understand? God put those feelings there. He put those feelings in that teenage boy. I remember those feelings when they came to me as a teenage boy. I remember. They, those feelings are not sinful. They're not sinful. Those feelings are God-given. Why? They're God-given because God wants us to continue to replenish the earth. There are people dying all the time. We have to replenish them. Now, God has, God has set up those parameters and said, I expect you to operate within these parameters. But we can't, we don't tell our children, well, you can't have those feelings. You just, you just learn that according to the scriptures, you don't act on them until the proper time in the proper place. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for caring and loving us so much that you would, you would know ahead of time that when we, we don't follow your way, that we run into trouble. There's always pain and suffering when we do not follow your way of doing things. And we thank you for your word and we thank you for the clear teaching that you give us on this subject of human sexuality. Help us as we go through this, Lord. Uh, we, we, just, we just believe that you have done something wonderful for us. That you want us to experience and you want us to enjoy. And when we do it according to your will, when we operate in accordance with your limitations and your parameters, it will always be great. It will always be wonderful. It will always be a spiritual experience. And so we just thank you, Lord. And we just ask each and every ask that you would give each and every one of us wisdom to know the truth. And Lord, before we go, we just want to thank you for the ministries that are part of this church that we've committed to pray for, we've also committed to give to in, in many instances. And Lord, we just want to thank you. Uh, thank you for the, the EE prison ministry. Uh, we thank you for <coughs> upcoming opportunities that there may be to be a part of that. And, uh, and Lord, we just, uh, we just continue to pray for the ministry of taking the gospel behind bars. We pray for the Transitional Center, Lord, and we do want to have a special prayer for the ladies at the Transitional Center right now. Pray for the family of Crystal at this tragic, tragic loss. And Lord, I just, uh, we just pray for the girls at the Transitional Center that you will, 
through Chaplain Burke and through others, you will minister to them. And, uh, and Lord, just, uh, just give them calm spirits. Lord, I just pray that uh, you will uh, help them as they work through the grieving process of uh, losing this, uh, this uh, person that they knew, Crystal. Um, Lord, we know that there are many who are, who are sad and, and uh, who are grieving over this, and we just ask that you would, that you would touch their lives. <coughs> Lord, I pray for love serves, and I just continue to thank you for the work that they're doing. And Lord, as we continue to plan and prepare for the mission trip coming up uh, in uh, a couple of months, I just pray that you will open up the doors for others to be able to be a part of that and uh, we, we thank you for their ministry and what they are doing in the Dominican Republic. We also want to thank you for our missionaries, for Todd and Shelley. We thank you, Lord, for, uh, and for Chris Garris. And Lord, we know that um, uh, they are taking the message of the resurrected Jesus. And there are those who are hearing and they are believing. And we thank you for the fruit of their labor. We continue to ask that you would give them wisdom and strength as they, uh, as they share the gospel with the people in the Middle East and with the people in Thailand. And then finally, Lord, we want to pray and thank you for our daycare. It's nearly full. We thank you for being able to touch the lives of these children and these families uh, each and every day. And for your blessings upon it, we, we thank you so much. And now, Lord, I just pray that you'll take us from this place Guide us and protect us throughout the week. More than anything else, Lord, may we as your people, as your followers, may we have an impact in the marketplace this week. May people see Jesus in us and be attracted to him. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>